back and tell your parents what you learned about the Lord, okay? Well, this evening we're going to be in Revelation 2. We're going to continue our series on the letters to the churches. And I felt like last week I was just really just grasping for illustrations, for application for us. I felt like it was more of really a uh, to understand the historical context of what this church went through. And I think it's good for us to understand that. But I, ho- I hope tonight to um, get a little bit more personal. <laughs> um, and that's really meant that I've had to get more personal myself, the Lord, in this passage. And uh, I pray that God will speak to you this evening and teach you and teach you and me, the Lord teach me, that uh, we would be obedient to him. I know I've been really getting something out of pastor's messages in the morning, too. Hasn't it been a blessing? Really living in the presence of Jehovah. That song keeps coming. It's good to go through that and to live for his glory. But again, I would say living in the presence of, of Jehovah ought to help us as we think about these truths this evening. So as you've turned there to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be in 2, 8 through um, the end of this letter, verse 11, looking at the church of Smyrna again. We're going to focus in on the last few verses but this, this evening I've entitled the message, Turning Your Cross into a Crown. Turning Your Cross into a Crown. Let's start reading in uh, verse 8. Under the inspiration of the, of the Holy Spirit, John writes, And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, who was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would teach us. I pray, Lord, that we would just hold fast to the truth of this passage. The truth that each one of us, as we know Christ as our Savior, each one of us has a cross to bear. Truly, we know, Lord Jesus, you've not called us to an easy life. You've called us to a life of obedience and to love you, knowing that this world is not our home. And so, Lord, I pray that we would come to grips with this reality tonight and that it would help us in the decisions and the choices that we make throughout the week, that we would truly be spirit-led and expect the crosses that we bear. And so, Lord, I pray you would do a spiritual work in our hearts this evening. Renew our minds. Help us, Lord, to live out the gospel, to be faithful followers to you. And, Lord, we love you now, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't often read poetry, but this evening there's a short little poem, I think, that helps us as we get into this passage Uh, It's an unknown author, but the author said, God hath not promised skies ever blue. That's sure true in Eugene, isn't it? (laughs) But we've had blue sky lately. Flower-strewn pathways, 
always for you. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But he hath promised strength from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. That's the truth. And you know that wherever you're at on your Christian life, maybe if you're a new believer, you don't understand the the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that can come in following Christ. But truly, as you read and you understand who Christ is and how he lived his life, he went through so much for you and me, didn't he? Ultimately, he went through all those things and he died on a horrible cross as the lamb who was slain for us and shed his blood. But he conquered death, didn't he? Three days later, he arose and was seen of over 500 at one time. And those disciples that would see and know Christ would go out faithfully preaching the word, boldly proclaiming, spreading out so much so that the Bible says they turned the world upside down. And many of them, those disciples, died horrible deaths. One would be, tradition says, would be crucified upside down because he did not want to be crucified right side up like his, his master, his Lord. Another would be boiled in oil and die. Horrible things. And John here, even as he's writing this, he is... He is in the island of Patmos. He's, he's banished there um, because he was a church leader in Ephesus. And so truly, as we look at this church, this church really, as last week I said, it is it's truly faith under trial. This is a church that was going through much suffering. Uh, the place there in Smyrna, though, a beautiful, had a beautiful harbor, a lot of sea trade. It was a city that worshipped the emperor. And the Christians could not worship the emperor. They, they could not take place. In, in simply giving incense to the emperor and saying that he was Lord because truly he wasn't Lord. That was idolatry to them and false worship. And so as last week we talked about the one man with a church leader, 86 years old, could not put the incense in, could not say Caesar is Lord, and he died a horrible death as he was burned at the stake. You see, folks... <clears throat> It's neat to study church history and about these 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 many that were martyred. Even the uh, even the church uh, or the Council of Nicene, th- uh, 325 A.D. around there, about really they they talked about the Trinity and they came up with the creed there. There was many men a part of that. There was only 12 that had not been suffered persecution and things. Only 12. Some of them had their eyes, one of their eyes poked out, hands cut off, all kinds of horrible things. Because they were followers of the Lord. You see, folks, we don't understand that, do we? And that's why I think it was hard for me last week to really relate. But the fact is, each one of us do have a cross to bear. And your cross may get bigger and it may get worse as time goes on. Society is changing. We've seen it. Many of you have seen it for many years now, but just in the last five years. We've seen how society has turned. A lot of the moral issues, religious liberties are being taken away. But each one of us has a cross to bear. And so my first point this evening is the idea that you need to expect to bear a cross. To bear a cross. That doesn't sound like a fun thing, does it? But it truly is a a truth in the Christian life. We ought to expect it. We see here in verse 30... It says, or not 30, verse 10. I don't know where that came from. 
Pastor Daniel, we were looking for 300 and whatever it was, 60-something in the hymnal, and I was turning in the 60s, so I don't know where my mind is sometimes. Anyways, uh, verse 10, um, John says, or the, Jesus talking here, the, the vision, telling John speaking um, Jesus' words, it says, Fear none of, the, none of those things which thou shalt suffer. The idea is that they would suffer, okay? And then at, then it says that some of them would be in prison and that they shall have tribulation ten days. Okay, so it's not, it's not I think so or it's, it might happen. It's the idea. It, it will happen to these believers. And the fact is each one of us will have crosses to bear. And they can be different things throughout your life. But you will have to bear a cross if you are going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We know that verse that says, all those who live godly shall suffer persecution. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus. And so as we look through this passage, especially those last uh, few verses there, it speaks of a tribulation, of poverty, to suffer, prison, to be tried, tribulation, and even death. Those words convey the idea of physical or even psychological suffering. It, It conveys the idea of pain of testing, of persecution, not the easy life. But it's what God was calling that church to. Matthew 16, 24, uh, we read, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, folks, each one of us will have to bear a cross. Expect it. Expect it. I was thinking about this idea of this idea of pain and what we go through. I don't know if you've ever been to the hospital before and, and they ask you constantly, what do they ask you when you're, they're managing your pain? On a scale of 1 to 10, where is your pain level at? And they have this neat little picture of a real smiley face. And eventually that smiley face does, turns and turns and turns pretty soon. It looks like he's screaming, okay? <laughs> where are you at on the list of the pain management? And folks, there's going to be different levels, different areas throughout your life where you're at with the pain that you go through. And so we ought to expect this. I was reading through some of my emails the other night, and we got an email from missionary Daniel Needham. We know Tom Needham. We've supported him and his family in a camp over in Cameroon, Africa. But Daniel's now grown up. I remember him coming probably, I don't know, 10, 8 years ago, and he was just... uh, a teenager, short, not to be mean, but scrawny, you know, <laughs> things like that. But he's grown up. He's taller than I am. He's over six foot now. And uh, he went this last summer, went out and preached like evangelistically among the Fulani people there in Cameroon, Muslims, what they are, and preached. And, and God did a mighty work through him and many others. I can't remember how many churches were started and planted this last summer, but it was, it was in the uh, thir- like around 30 different churches were started. But God has called him to go back and to be a missionary there, um, uh, kind of in the same area where his, his dad is, but not necessarily right with his dad. But I was reading through, he, he got engaged and he's getting married this uh, summer, and uh, we will have him and, and uh, some of his family out the end of July. But listen to this, this is, this is sobering. Listen to this, this is kind of a website they have for their Um, They're doing a courtship, uh, marriage thing, and they talk about how God brought them together. But listen to this. Think about this. Is this, when you got married, were these your thoughts? This shows some real maturity, I think. On January 9th at 12 p.m., 
As the noon bells were ringing, Daniel Needham asked Rachel Meyer to marry him. He told her, as she already knew, that their lives would not be easy, that they would face hardships, loneliness, and perhaps death for the cause of the gospel. Daniel also told Rachel that wherever their lives will lead them, or God will lead them, he wanted to marry her because he loved her, because God had so clearly led them together, and because of Rachel's heart to serve the Lord, and because of her love to Daniel in response to his love to her, Rachel Meyer replied with an amazing yes. But I want to ask you, when you asked your men, asked your special person to be married, were you thinking about those thoughts? Probably not. There's some real maturity there. This, this is a young man. He's went through college. But he understands the fact that he has a cross to bear. And when he gets married, she will take that cross on too. So they try to reach those with the gospel. You see, he understands the missionary life, but ultimately each one of us are missionaries too, aren't we? See, in this passage, we see the, the cross that that they would bear, and there is a cross that each of us will bear. You see, nothing can touch the child of God without God's permission. So we accept each hurt, each problem, each difficulty as from his hand, seeking to learn from it all that he would teach us, using all the resources of God at our disposal and asking him to make it turn out for our good in his glory. You know, we're called to care, to bear a cross, but ultimately, did, does any, do any of us want a cross? <laughs> the cross comes when we simply follow our Lord, obey him, love him, and the crosses come. Do you, do you think that the Sweetheart Bakery in, in uh, Portland that day that they reser- re- refused a cake to a gay couple, do you think they thought that morning, yes, Today's the day we're going to bear our cross. Yes, I know it. We're going to bear it for this. Yeah, no. They simply, he said, I cannot do it. I cannot do this. It's wrong. It's wrong. I feel it's wrong in God's eyes. I cannot. Please go find another place to buy your cake. Right? But that has turned and there's trial, all kinds of things. They've lost their business, all kinds of things as they've, bore this cross that God had for them. You see, folks, we don't always know what the crosses will be, but as we follow our God, the crosses will become evident. But let us learn the truths. Let us learn from these things. So we ought to expect to bear a cross, but secondly, we ought to encounter God in the cross-bearing process. And what I mean by that is we ought to realize that this is God's gift to us, and it's to cause us to draw closer to Him to know him in a more personal way. Isn't that what Paul said? He wanted to know him, to know the power of the resurrection, to know the fellowship of his sufferings, to know him. And truly, Paul said in that earlier in that same book that, that really it was a gift to suffer for his sake. You see in this, in this passage, and I didn't really hit it on it much last week, but in verse 9, He goes through, he says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. You see, whatever cross we bear, we have to understand that our God has given us riches that this world cannot take away. 
Though you suffer, though you might be persecuted, there are certain things no one can take away from you. I, uh, when I <clears throat> worked on a, a boys and girls ranch when I was in high school, worked there three summers, did a lot of mowing things. It was about three or 300 acres. Um, there was a man there. He was a maintenance man. It, he Truly, there's certain believers in life that when they just live out the gospel. And, and I think young people see it. They see honesty. They see a integrity. It's not just a facade. And this was one of those, one of those men. He was probably around the age in his 50s or so. And uh, his name was Rich. Okay, and, and um, we went to church with him, too, though it was a big church. And he wore a hat, and on his hat, he always wore this hat, it said, Rich in the Lord. And so uh, he'd introduce himself, I am rich, and by the way, I'm rich in the Lord. <laughs> you know, but he just, he just loved the Lord. And uh, God used him mightily in my life. But to truly understand the riches that they have, though they did not have much, in fact, as we talked about before, because they would not worship the emperor, they would not get a certificate saying that they were obeying the law. And there was certain people that would not hire him. There was guilds or there was like unions for these workers to work. And if they were not willing to, to worship the emperor and do these things, they could not get in the union. So they could not get jobs. Very tough. But he says you are rich. I mean, as we think about the New Testament in different times, it talks about this idea of riches that we have in the Lord or the abundance we have in the Lord. Uh, these verses come to mind. Romans 2, 4, that talks about the riches of God, his kindness and his forbearance and his patience, which ought, uh, uh, actually, as it talks there, ought to draw us to himself. Uh, Romans nine twenty three talks about the riches of God's glory. As we think about one day, the glory, the glorification he will do in us, this earth, but also our bodies in heaven being with him. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, there's a certain strength we can get that we can get from this hope, this idea that we have an inheritance, that this world is not our home. Ephesians 2.7, it talks about the immeasurable riches of his grace. Isn't that what grace is? Grace has been defined as divine enablement. That's something this unsaved person doesn't have. It's something where we can go to God and trust him and he can give us the grace, the power, the strength to overcome, to go through whatever we may go through, bearing our crosses. Ephesians 2, 4 says the riches of his mercy. Ephesians 3, 8 says the riches of Christ are unsearchable. And these riches are available to everyone who will call upon him, Romans 11 says. So as we go through these, we ought to encounter God and realize though we go through these crosses in our lives, we ought to realize we have that riches that no one can take away. That no one can take away. Patrick Henry said, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that and I had not given them a single shilling... They would have been rich. And if they had not that and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. 
or in deed. See, Matthew sixteen twenty-five through 27, we read, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, Jesus says, shall find life. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. You see, as we go through these things, we want to encounter God and understand the riches. That's why it's so important to have the right mindset as we go through this, and as we get in God's word and realize who he is and how he loves us and that these these sufferings and these things, God is allowing these things. Satan, truly in this passage, Satan is the one that that is the adversary. He's the one that wants to hurt. He's the one that will cast them. Truly, Right here, John's bringing out here in this letter the fact that it wasn't just the people that were doing it. Ultimately, it was Satan himself. The suffering they would go through. Suffering gets our attention, doesn't it? It forces us to look to God when otherwise we would just as well ignore him. You see, there's two commands in verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer, and be thou faithful unto death. Two commands. Fear none of these things. As we were going out door to door this last week, um, just talking again, thinking about this message and, or this passage and trying to let that really work in me and understand. But as we went out door to door, I thought, you know, what an what a easy thing to do, to go and to talk to people and share the gospel. And not just door to door, but in our lives. So, so often we have what? We have the fear of man. But how easy it is when you think about somebody that's not willing to put incense in the fire and say Caesar is Lord and is burned at the stake. What a little thing to tell somebody about the Lord. What a little thing to to just be a light in our community. I think there's so much political correctness. There's so much fear of man and what people think that we're not willing to just be the Christians we ought to be, to be the obedient ones that we should be. Um, Our missions conference theme is obedience. Be his voice, his hands, and his heart. That just ought to be who we are. We don't really care. As as Pastor said, as we live in the presence of Jehovah, it doesn't really matter what people think. We just want them to see Christ in us and through us. We want people to know about the judgment that's coming. Um, I'll share this. I shared it in Sunday school this morning. I'll share it tonight. My wife was trying, she's trying to make the recipe, Cheryl knows this, of the, the churros, churros that we had down in Peru. Everybody knows what a churro is? Okay, well, you probably really don't know what a Peruvian churro is, okay? And George, um, it, it's some type of fried bread with a caramel sauce in it. And the sauce is called uh, manjar, okay? And it's really good. I, so we brought some of the manjar back with us. We're trying to find this. And so... I just thought for fun I'd put the actual the town we were in, Urtabamba, and put Chiro's recipe. Wouldn't you know it, there was five or six blogs on there about a man called the Chiro Man. And it was talking about the man where we got our Chiro's from. Okay? And they talked about how he makes these amazing Chiro's and all these things. But then as I kept reading... Because he'd only do it like two or three days a week. He'd sell those just to provide for himself. The other days, he goes to the town plaza, and he goes and he preaches 
the gospel. And we got to go and sing with him and hand out tracts when he did that. And so they called the Chido Man. Chido Man. He was baking Chidos and he was also preacher. One man said he was angry in his preaching. We heard him. No doubt he was so full and moved with the idea that people needed the Lord, he had to get that truth out. And truly, judgment and a, sounds like a bad message. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to be faced with death. But it's the truth, isn't it? Now, we need to speak the truth in love. But this man was not only known for his chittos, he was known for his preaching in the town square. God help us. You see, the idea of fear none of these things. One, uh, one evangelist said this fear, fear not, as we see throughout the Bible, is that divine hush for God's children. Remember this, Genesis 15.1, read this through with my kids. Um, it's been a few weeks ago now, but remember this? After Abraham went and he got his, his nephew Lot, um, the, uh, the king of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom was going to give him all these different things, and uh, Abraham says, I can't take that. Then you'll get the credit for, for what God, how God's going to bless me and things. The next passage, we read, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. We have to remember that, don't we? Psalm 23, fear not for thou art with me. Those passages that say greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You see, folks, when we come to the reality that we expect a cross, that we can actually, with through the cross-bearing process, understand that we can encounter God in a much more fresh, intimate way. It ought not to matter what people think of us. And the fears and the anxieties ought to subside as we live for an audience of, of one. <clears throat> William Sangster, I just read him on an illustration, um, got it, but I don't know who he is. But he, he was told as he was dying of progressive muscular atrophy, that he was dying of that, he made four resolutions and faithfully kept them. The first one was, I will never complain. Isn't it interesting? Some of the people uh, getting to know a gentleman that's in a wheelchair, disabled. How, how often do you see disabled people complain? I mean, I know they probably have, but they've learned to deal with it many times. I can't speak for everyone, but he says, I, have, I will never complain the second thing he said is, I will keep the home bright. No doubt he's not talking about lights, but he's talking about a, a joyful attitude. He says, I will count my blessings. I will try to turn my suffering into gain. You see, the other, the other command here is, be faithful thou, or be thou faithful unto death. They knew the prison, ten days in the prison, would ultimately lead to death. And, and um, he's saying there, be faithful unto death. You see, folks, some of us, I think, if we knew we were going to die, we would be faithful to die for Christ. But how are we doing in the little things throughout the week? Are we faithful in the little things? Knowing that we don't, you know, we really don't suffer that much persecution here, here in the U.S. It, it could be coming, but how are we doing now with the, the things of ministry? The things of serving our God, the things of being in his word, being a follower of him. Are we faithful in those things? Boy, Christ was faithful, wasn't he? See, as we live out the Christian life, we don't ask for suffering. We don't ask for a cross, but God often leads us to one. And we need to trust him. We need to look to him. 
So we need to expect a cross. We need to, um, we need to encounter God through the experience, through the, the process of the cross bearing. But I think really something this passage is really getting out in the last part here is the idea that we ought to envision eternity beyond the cross. We got to envision eternity. And I think it's so easy to focus on the here and the now and all the things going on and the temporal rewards or whatever they might be, temptations sometimes, that we forget this life is but a vapor. It's here for a little while and then it passes away. There's a good illustration, kind of funny, to help us think about this. this, this having this right perspective. Driving through Texas, a new New Yorker collided with a truck carrying a horse. A few months later, he tried to collect damages for his injuries. How can you now claim to have all these injuries, asked the insurance company's lawyer. According to the police report at the time, you said you were not hurt. Look, replied the New Yorker, I was lying on the road in a lot of pain. And I heard someone say the horse had broken a leg. The next thing I knew, this Texas Ranger pulls out his gun. He shoots the horse. He turns to me and asks, are you okay? (laughs) That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm doing fine, sir. Don't shoot me, okay? (laughs) But that's the idea here, isn't it? Whatever pain you're going through, whatever cross you're bearing, when you put it in perspective... It's, it's nothing compared to eternity with our God. Nothing compared. In this life, it may be that the Christian, Christian's loyalty will bring him a crown of thorns, but in the life to come, it will surely bring him a crown of life. And surely this passage, it says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. It's a promise from God. I will give you the crown of life. Truly, I, I believe in this, this area, they had the games there. I can't remember what they were called. The init- uh, I can't remember exactly. They, they were the games that were coming. We have one that's going to run the Boston Marathon in a, in a week. And, and uh, he's going to be running that, but he's running. And there's rewards they got in the games. Okay, And all it was, folks, all it was was a little um, crown with leaves or ferns, whatever it was, wrapped together for them to wear. That's all it was. Now, truly, there was a popularity. There was fame. There was the idea this is the fastest person around. But that's all that it was. And it faded away. It was so temporary. But here, um, the Lord Jesus is reminding them, hey, you will get the crown of life. This is something that's eternal, something that will last forever. This life is life forever with me. It's something that no one can ever take away from you. I truly, I personally don't believe it's a real crown. I don't. I I believe just like Paul talks about putting on the whole armor of God, and he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, all those different things. Those are figurative to help us to imagine this and to think it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This crown of life is simply the fact you have overcome and now you have eternal life. You will have a glorified body one day. You will not have to endure sin. You will not have to wear these spectacles. You will not have to have dentures, all these things. I don't know what all it might be. You will not, there won't be hospitals in heaven. Okay? Think about that. This is the life that you will have. It will be true life. I, how would you like it to eat simply for enjoyment, not have to worry about all the problems of gaining weight? Amen. <laughs> all right. 
Those are all benefits. They sure help, though, don't they, as you think about that compared to what we go through now. But ultimately, our Lord will be there and we'll have true life with Him. And He will reign supreme. This crown of life, whether it's a real crown or not, the idea is that you've overcome death. You're with your Lord. You will be with Him forever. And we talked about that tree of life before. Remember that? Really, it's a forest of all those different fruits and things to eat in that new Jerusalem where there's no crime and and Christ reigns supreme. The new heaven and new earth. But I want you to see one other thing. This last verse says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Don't get, don't get pulled away and sidetracked. This isn't talking about a spiritual elite group of Christians. This is talking about true followers of Christ who are Christians. You see, ultimately, it says in, in um, 1 John 5, it talks about all those who are born again will overcome the world. Romans 8 says that we, we are more than conquerors. We superabound. We are superabounding overcomers through the one who overcame everything, our conquering Christ. It's truly through him and what he helps us and what he gives. We can be overcomers through him. Pastor's been talking about with us pastors and things about having core values. and He's been sharing that with the church, too. But I think one of the core values that I'm kind of getting with my family is the idea that we are overcomers through Christ. The fact that whatever opposition, whatever struggles, whatever crosses we bear, we can overcome them because Christ is our conqueror. Just like they went into the promised land. What was some of the promises? God says, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight for you. All you do, all you have to do is obey and follow me. I will give you the land. What did Caleb say? I want that mountain. It's been 40, 45 years. I'm 85. God gave the promises. I'm going to march up that mountain. We're going to kill those giants. It's my land. Over conquerors through Christ. But notice here, what is he? What is the promise? The promise is you shall not be hurt. Think of it in relation to all the other hurt and suffering and tribulation that you go through. You will not be hurt of the second death. The worst thing that can happen to you is for you to die in your sin and to go to hell and ultimately cast into the lake of fire, which is everlasting destruction, everlasting judgment that will come upon you. The Bible speaks of the smoke coming up forever and ever. You see, folks, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is the judgment that you deserve for your sin. But this also is why Christ came for you. He loved you. He wanted to give himself. He wanted to take the very wrath of God in your place to die on that cross so that you would not have to experience the second death. Uh, Ernie, remind me of this quote this morning, but it goes something like this. Born once, die twice. Okay, Physical death, spiritual death. Be born physically, born twice, born physically and born spiritually, die once. See, if you're born again today, you'll never experience the second death. You'll never experience the pain. Notice it's on the pain, the second death. I can't imagine. I I know of a man that he wanted to experience what. I don't know if you can totally experience what hell is going to be like. There's all kinds of things out there, by the way. 
uh, videos, movies, things like that. But ultimately, where should we get our truth from? God's word, okay? I don't care what someone's went through and what their experiences are about heaven or hell. We ought to go to God's word to know exactly what God has shared with us. Understand what I'm saying? But this man, he wanted to see how hot something like that be. So he had a fireplace in his living room. And he said, I just want to see if I can put my hand on there. I can't remember. I think it was 60 seconds. And so he put his hand on that fireplace. And I think he got to like 15 seconds and he couldn't stand it any longer. He burned. I don't know if second or third degree burns. I'm not sure. But he burned himself. It would be horrible to go through. Miss Jennifer. Jennifer went through that. And the burning. But the lake of fire will be much worse. It says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're all alone and you hear these horrible screams. And it's for eternity. That's something beyond talks about, Pastor Chris is talking about these things in a Sunday school class in heaven. But folks, do you see it? Whatever cross you bear, whatever, however tough it is, is nothing compared to the second death and the pain of it. It puts things in perspective. So whatever you're going through, encounter God. Trust him. Get closer to him. Know your Lord. Usually it's through the furnace of affliction, through the crucible, that God grows your faith and God uses you in such a mighty way. He helps you. Learn from it. Be taught by it. God, help us with it. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. The famous preacher D.L. Moody told about a Christian woman who, who was always bright, cheerful, and optimistic. That's a fun person to be around, isn't it? Even though she was confined to her room because of illness. She lived in an attic apartment on the fifth floor of an old, run-down building. A friend decided to visit her one day and brought along another woman, a person of great wealth. In quotes. Since there was no elevator, the two ladies began the long climb upward. When they reached the second floor, the well-to-do woman commented, What a dark and filthy place. Her friend replied, It's better higher up. When they arrived at the third landing, the remark was made, Things look even worse here. And again, the reply is, it's better higher up. The two women finally reached the attic level where they found the bedridden saint of God. A smile on her face radiated the joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark surroundings in which this woman lived. She blurted out, it must be very difficult for you to be here like this. Without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in responded. Where were they at? They were in the attic. Can't go any further up. She responded, it's better higher up. She was not looking at temporal things. With the eye of faith fixed on the eternal, she had found the secret of true satisfaction and contentment in her Lord. God help us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Truly, if you are a follower of Christ today. A follower of Christ is one who lives for Christ. Humbles himself. is teachable. Not perfect. But one that wants to be spirit-led. One that wants to have a personal relationship with the Lord. One that senses the conviction of God. The leading of God. One that wants nothing between you and the Savior. Wants short sin accounts. Somebody that's a follower of God. 
as you follow God, you will bear a cross. Expect it. You may be in the midst of it today. Some of you maybe are not experiencing that much. Maybe you should be. I don't know what it is, but today, I, in your seat right there, I, maybe you need to just ask God for forgiveness. Maybe some areas this last week you fell into peer pressure, you fell into the political correctness of our day. Maybe you just need to confess some sin right there. Maybe today someone here that would say, Pastor Nathan, I don't, I don't, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I don't truly understand. I don't truly have this personal relationship with him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We all are sinners. We're all on our path to hell. But Christ came down. He loved us and he died in your place. He paid the sin debt in full. He took the wrath of the Father. He became your propitiation. He wants to save you. He wants to give his righteousness He wants to take your sin. He wants you to no longer be condemned. He wants you to have eternal life where you can spend forever with him. If God's tugging at your heart today, you can right there in your seat, you can pray and say, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. God, I know I deserve your wrath. I know I deserve hell. But God, you've loved me. You've sent your son to die in my place. I want to accept him as my savior. You can call out to him right there. You can ask him to save you. You can talk to one of us pastors, but truly it's between you and the Lord. We'd love to help guide you, but it's between you and the Lord. So if that's you today, I I pray you pray even right there. And that you'd make that known after the service. I'd love to talk with you. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. And, uh, Lord, we're thankful for these letters you wrote to the churches. Lord, with Ephesus, their love had drawn, gone very cold. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd have that passion, that love for you. And truly with this church, they weren't really had any problems. They were just going to go through it. And so, Lord, help us to just expect the cross. Help us to encounter you, to know you in even a better way, to put things in perspective and just to love you. Do work in our hearts now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.